1: at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. apply.
4: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social
1: Podcast Network. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet.
5: Welcome back to a Celtic state of mind. It is the Wednesday Axon Bulletin. I'm Paul John Dykes sitting in for Kev Graham, who sat in for Paul John Dykes on Monday. Uh, To my right is the return of Brian Degnan and the long-awaited return of James McKenzie. It's been a while James, how are you?
3: I'm doing great, Paul. It's great to be back on the show. The last time I was on was during the COVID season. where There was a lot of negativity around the club, but Thanks to the rest of Post, poster Coglu, we're in a much better place now. Exciting times ahead, the summer chance window, so. It's just good. i excited to talk about Celtic
5: with you for the next hour or so. Ah, absolutely. And I must touch on this because the last time you were on Axon was the you know, kind of dark days. And I remember you coined the phrase Lenny Ball, which I'd never heard before. And I found that quite amusing at the time. But before we do anything, you are wearing a jersey, which is very appropriate today. Because it was won in the first competitive, well, the first league game. I don't know if we played any qualifiers before it. Against Under United under Martin O'Neill, who was appointed Celtics manager today. Did I get my maths right? 22 years ago, lads? Is that right? 22 years eight, ago? Right. Uh, <laughs> yes, Martin O'Neill on this day. And in nine days' time, we appoint Ange Postacoglu and what we've done yesterday with Lawrence and Patrick is we actually looked at Martin O'Neill's second European campaign as a Celtic manager and how that panned out and we tried to look at and compare where we are today with Ange Postacoglu and look ahead to the coming season now you gentlemen Um, Didn't have the opportunity to answer all the kind of review-style questions that we included on the 1,000th episode just a few weeks ago. Um, So you are going to have the opportunity to do that. And that'll open up the discussion around transfer business that we can and can't do or should do. The players that we have at our disposal, the manager, the board, everything else Celtic-related, even the jerseys. Let's start off with the jerseys. Brian Degden, we have seen a sneak peek ...of the home and potentially the away... ...which is a throwback to my time in the early 90s... ...what's your thoughts so far on the Celtic kits that have... uh, ...I mean they've been leaked... ...I don't know sometimes do they do that on purpose... ...is that part of the marketing, I'm not sure... ...but they've been leaked, the home jersey and the away jersey... ...what's your thoughts?
0: So I'm a bit an outlier regarding kits... ...I've always got a weird taste in in kits... ...but I actually really like the the leaked home one... ...you know that's been a bit controversial... Uh, the only thing... I'm not keen on the silver stripes. I feel they should be gold. That would make more sense. But,
5: actually,
0: yeah. I am I absolutely love a V-neck, just in life. And my favourite ever Celtic kit was the 96 kit. They had the new sort of in, uh, the pattern through the hoops. Yeah, yeah. And the these one's kind of got an element... Not the same, but it's got an element in that pattern. And it just... When I saw it, it just reminded me of that. And that's my favourite ever home kit. Um So I really like it. Actually, I'm not quite as fond... The stripes mm. on the, the away one, which seems to be the one of the loves. So, I apologize come out but I do like a really dark um, away kit. And talking about Martin Hughes' either. my favourite ever away kit was I think it was the 2004 season and it was the black with the gold trim. Yeah. And I was in my thinking that's New Larson celebrating it. But it had the collar and it just absolutely, by a distance, my favourite ever away top. So, um, two of the different eras there, but yeah, but I'm excited about the new kits, I think they, they look good. And I don't wear tracksuits or anything like that much, but the Adidas stuff has been class and I do quite like it just for kind of at the house. And when I'm working for home and I shut and tie in my Adidas trackies, it's like
5: you know how passionate I am about jerseys. And yes, some people might think, let's get talking about gossip and transfers, however. It is an important part of the pre-season. Every year now, three jerseys, three kits are released. And there's a few points I would uh, throw in there. I like the home jersey, but I agree with you about the silver elements. Got to be gold, because silver's for runners-up. I mean, there'll be some tenuous link. They might say it's the colour of the, the European Cup, as I still call it. Um, yeah, the second jersey... It could have been better, I think, Brian, but it it is based on one of my favourites of all time, so I'm maybe being ultra, ultra thorough on that one and critical on that one. However, what I would say, that black kit you're talking about, right, that was the first Celtic jersey ever, home or away, to have the Lisbon star above the crest. That was the first one that it appeared on. Um, And also, I didn't like it at the time, Brian. It's only now, when I'm looking back on the collection of jerseys, and I see that strip and I think that was amazing. I don't know why I didn't like it at the time. Uh, and finally, before I come to your thoughts uh, on the on the new jerseys, James, I was going through some of my old photos because obviously I keep going on about this and I keep getting slagged for mentioning it, but the, the jersey book is coming out. And you remember the the pink and silver one? Silver with the pink covet, Yeah, the Airdrie style one. The jersey that was never worn. I was looking through the pictures and it looked okay. It actually looked alright, lads. Sorry, I'm just putting that out there. I'm just putting that out there, James. Um, So what's your thoughts on the two new jerseys?
3: My only sort of pain with the home shirt was the silver stripes, as you both mentioned. I was a big fan of the away shirt when I first saw it. But then there was the front of the top that got leaked first. Mm. Then we saw the back of the top. They didn't continue the stripes to the back of the shirt. It's just all black. Mm. But... Strange it could, have, it could have been better I'll still buy the shirt Obviously <laughs> uh, You touched on the training gear as well I don't know if you've seen The Teamgeist The Teamgeist gear The tracksuits And the tops Not far. yet it's nah. The Celtic neon logo it, it, They put it up A couple of months ago For sale I think It's expensive But uh, it's really Really
5: nice Love it, all about the merch. Listen, um, we have been linked to various players as will happen over the summer months, and I'm sure we will be talking about some of the targets as the preseason progresses. Always find it funny, Brian, going back to last season's uh, targets, and you know, we're, and the season before that, uh, in actual fact, where we're looking at players like Stephen Fletcher, and we're asking questions like, should we sign Fletcher or Tonev or Ajete? and we know what happened there. Um, Hopefully there will be no faux pas this pre-season. Let's talk about Andy's 12 months uh, in charge at Celtic, Brian, and specifically um, the focus being on the recruitment. He's not had many missteps so far. Do you expect that to continue this pre-season?
0: Yeah, it um, it seems to be a feature of Andy's career. Wherever he's been, he seems to sign very well. Um, and it's not necessarily the individual players are excellent in their sales, but it's the way they merge and the team, the way the team dynamics always function seem to be something he's exceptionally good at. Mm. He made some quip about um, when he misses the shop and she knows he's out to buy in the shop. He knows that when he sees a player, he knows that player, he knows their character, he knows they're going to fit. And I think that if you look at the recruitment under Ange, it's maybe you could argue McCarthy has not really shown, but then there's no question Mark, if that was ready arranged before he came in. Uh, but everyone else you have to see, Idiguchi um, saw his only other one, because we have not seen much of him. But if you look at Hitati, I think hitati has been really good. I know he's been a wee bit up and down, but I think next season he's going to be absolutely flying. I think O'Reilly is insane potential. I really actually think he's the you know the way Van Dyke stood out and you think he's going to go some special asset up there, really. Um, obviously, Jota, a came out of nowhere, 20 years old, Kyogo. Keogh, I mean, it's just, you can go through it and you think, these are really special players I and mean, it's not just that they're good players for this season, they're kind of, they've almost got that hero status and, you know, we talked about, you know, Martin You coming in and we think about the Seville team and you think of these guys that are so, like, you know, adored 20-odd years later, and I think there's enough guys in this team that you can imagine being real icons for Celtic. Yeah. You talk about your Jotas, your O'Reilly's, Carter Vickers. Um, I think Granovic is going to be up there as well. So I'm really excited at what, who Andrew's going to bring in. But what I'm most excited about is the manner at which he went about his business, particularly in January. Now, was quite vocal, as he's want to be, about the summer transfer window and how it wasn't done quick enough for him. You know, he wanted players in, he wanted to run quick. And I, I thought it was really refreshing how he said, you know, there's no cover up. He's like, no happy. We need to get this done quicker in the future. Mm-hmm. The first opportunity to correct that in January, he signed three players before the deadline day opened. Now, that's a man that goes about his business in the right way. And I, I fully suspect, and I think probably in the next two to three weeks, we'll have a complement of players. I think we'll have maybe three or four players in that are first team ready, that want going to make a difference. I see it being a real quick turnaround because I think he's going to want a full pre-season with the squad. And again, you need to think as well, um, having a full pre-season with guys like O'Reilly, like Hatati, like Maeda, um, Jack Marcus never had a full pre-season either, although he came in, in the summer. That's going to help them so much. So if you can get some new players in and bed them in at the same time as these guys, exciting stuff.
5: It is. It really is, Brian. And I don't want any negative negativity to creep into my thoughts, right? Because when when James last came onto Axon, it was the it was the dark days, like you know, and uh, we don't want that to happen. But you know, history does tell us that when we're in a position like this, a position of uh, relative strength, and you you know, as a fan, right, we need another five or six players to really bolster us, and I'm including Jota and Cameron Carter-Vickers in that. Um, history will tell us that we've not really seen it through, um, but. I think the saving grace this time round, uh, James, is something that Brian's already mentioned, the Ange-Postacoglu effect. If it's not going to happen, he will definitely make it happen. Um, are you confident that uh, the board and Ange can work together? They've, they've worked pretty well, really, uh, over the piece that we can get what we require in this pre-season.
3: Yeah, I think Ange coming in has seen a, a real sort of change in the transfer direction in the market. The last... A sort of few years it's been projects that never really worked out your bios, your shreds, those sort of players. Whereas when I'm just coming, it's been first team ready players that are going to make an impact as soon as they come into the team. If you look at Kyogo, beside him, he was first team ready. He scored, I think it was, was it his debut against Jablinets, it was his first start, I think.
5: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. The real change in direction, the chance window has been the thing that stood out, and he's eye for a player as well. The only real duds that we've signed were players that looked like either board signings or they were signed before him. Mm-hmm. I think Liam Scales, I don't think that was an Ange signing. Um, Uri Gideon, Shaw, they both have really worked The they came in before him. But I think if he's backed in this summer transfer window, because he said in his speech, we're going to come back bigger and better after he won the Cup. So I trust Ange to push us on even further because we've got Champions League football to look forward to. And if you want to build a team for that, then there's a few more improvements we can make alongside, mm-hmm. hopefully, Jot and Carter Vickers coming in.
5: I totally agree with that. Now, let's get, the uh, commenters, the viewers involved, as much as possible, Jungle Lion, regular visitor to our YouTube channel. If you are on YouTube, make sure, yeah, give us the thumbs up on the video and also subscribe to the channel, hit your notifications bell. We are going to be going live throughout the pre-season and there's loads of other content lined up as well, as well as competitions. Afternoon, boys and girls, says Jungle Lion, and also Ryan Kelly is the same afternoon, Wednesday crew. Your regular Wednesday crew, of course, involves uh, Kevin Graham, who will be back very, very soon Lanky67 comes in Hits the like button uh, Thank you very much for your support And Brian Warrior Picking up on the Lenny Ball comments from earlier Reminds us that uh, Lenny did take us to the last 16 Of the Champions League And Brendan Ball Took us to defeat by Lincoln Red Imps. Yeah, I remember it well And I think that when you compare and contrast Is there even an argument That Lenny did better than Brendan in Europe? Brian, do you think that's fair to say for Celtic as a manager?
0: I think, well, you can't, it's hard to argue. Last 16 Champions League, um, beat Barcelona at Parkhead. I don't think anyone ever criticises, I certainly no one on Axioms ever criticised Lennon's first run. I think everyone acknowledges he was the right man for the job at the time. Mm-hmm. It's a second run where things, things take a turn. So I think context is important. Whenever Lennon's mentioned, he'll always be a hero for many people. Um, still a hero for me I love him um, last season was a blip I would say but if you look at his managerial career especially at Celtic fourth first time had done a great job so and it sounds to say but even in that short time football's changed quite a lot and Rodgers when he came in yeah we, we were thinking uh, Lincoln Redimps so I think that was you know the Arrida Bratislava of the Brendan Rodgers era so you know it happens but Rodgers quite a few slappings in Europe but he it was trying to play the, the, his style and just get players to raise their game to, to make sure they impose that style on other teams in Europe similar to what Angie's going to try and do the difference being I think Angie's style was more effective for it but I expect you know I, I said it when Angie first came in I said we're going to get a few black eyes along the way yeah. but if we severe, we will upper levels and I think you saw that in Angie's so I saw sorry i often a slight tangent but i saw people criticising Angie in Europe and I'll be honest other than the very start the, the Michelin when we were totally all prepared which was out of his hands we get nine points in the group stage Europa League with a team that was in its infancy
4: mm-hmm.
0: I don't think that's a bad shout I think in any other year we'd have qualified some of the like Mark Neil, actually, as well, remember? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, so I think that's you no know, bad going. The only real downside to Angie's European campaign for me was the Bodo-Glump game, where we got Angie we, bold, We got run by a team who were doing it better.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think, you know, you need to always look at context with Celtic in Europe. Some days, results can be disappointing. There could be reasons for it. Some days, we're just not good enough. Um, and just going back to the point about Lenny, yeah, it took us to the last 16 Champions League, but then we also um, had the chance to progress in Europe against Copenhagen.
1: Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for.
2: And absolutely wet the
0: bed. So every manager's said their ups and downs in Europe. So I don't think you can pick moments in time and say they were good, they were bad.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Everyone gets positives and negatives, and there is reasons behind it as well. So context is always key. To quote yeah. Alice, uh, Al Morrison.
5: Oh yeah, it definitely is. Now, you made a point there. I'm looking back on the European campaign from last season, James, and yeah, the Odell Glint one was very disappointing. And I just said that himself. Uh, But I remember being at the game, I'm pretty sure I was at the game with Tony, actually, Tony Haggerty, um, and I was very disappointed at home against uh, Bayer Leverkusen. And I remember coming home and then watching the the post-match and and seeing the, the social media kind of response. And it wasn't the same as my response, you know, because I, I thought that we were done over. So you watch the the game back. Then you start thinking, well, yes, we get hammered 4-0. But dubious penalty, at best dubious. It was never a penalty, Carter Vickers. And, and three individual errors, I think. Two by and one by Turnbull that night. So then you start, with hindsight, looking back on that particular night and thinking, well, on another night, on any other given night. You know, but Ange was true to his philosophy and his style of play. That was one night it didn't work, but on other nights it did. And we've seen some fantastic displays, particularly away from home as well, James. There's no way this man's going to change his approach in Europe, is there? And, And as Brian says, though, it seems to be working better than it did when Brennan Rogers did similar and just stuck to his guns. Why do you think that is?
3: Yeah, Dan says all the time he doesn't have a plan B. His plan B is to do plan A better than they've done it before. Um, I think well, we saw Brendan, we got proper hammerings when we came across a team of real quality. But then in the Europa League, <clears throat> when you came across, and well, this season we played Leverkusen and Batiste, they're sort of upper level teams in their respective leagues. When we played RB Leipzig, we gave them a good game under Brendan, we can't forget that. <coughs> then when we came against those teams under arms, I thought, apart from it, the Leverkusen but at the start of the group stage, which was it was the first game of the group and the team still in its infancy. We gave Leverkusen a real good game away from home. We got mm-hmm. unlucky that I think it was just maybe fitness levels that we fell away towards the end of the season, That's been the story. Across this season. Uh, we gave Batisse a really good game away from home. that. It was a very entertaining game. We had Alban Ayeti up front in that game as well. You can I think was Cal McGregor playing in that game? I think he was injured at that point. Was he, he- playing? Was it not? It was a home
0: game he
3: returned for? I don't know if he played in the away yeah, game. Yeah, he didn't play in the away game. So we gave them a good game without yeah. our captain and without being a Yeti up front. And then we beat them at home with essentially a B team we had the size of Urigide playing at right back. I know. So I think if European campaign this season's anything to go by, I think we can really go at some of these bigger teams. A lot of people are saying it's going to work the same way Brendan's was, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how it works. He's
5: really going to go with these big teams. See the I thing—I mentioned this other day. I Bumped into someone uh, outside Hamden, and he was basically saying he wants all the biggest names you can possibly give us, so we can go toe to toe with the very best. Brian, um, I guess when the, when a the draw comes up, I'm a wee bit more cautious. I guess I'm, I'm kind of thinking: is there any way we can, you know, get the the nine points? Because that is like a target that you you would normally ordinarily expect to get through. and the O'Neill season you mentioned, Lawrence Patrick and I spoke about yesterday. Um, you know, that was the highest points tally for a team who didn't qualify at that time nine points, won the three home games, lost the three away games. Um, but I don't know, I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle. You want some kind of glamour tie, but you also want to progress. And I'm always looking at that as well. Brian, what's your. Um, kind of ethos when you come into the groups. Do you just want all the big names, or do you try and say, well, we might have a, a situation where we can get a home and away against one of these teams, and maybe pick up points elsewhere.
0: So, going back to a, a key catchphrase, I, I'm a bit of a romantic around football and around Celtic, and I think that at Celtic Park, we should we're capable of beating Andy. I, I always believe that, and I know something we can look quite at European history in recent years but then some fantastic European like Strat, Gordon Stratton's European team was absolutely sensational at Parkhead you know we all seem to pull it out of the bag and I said I mentioned Lenny earlier on about Barcelona and I think um, you know Ange showed in glimpses that we're a, we're a team special so I'd be quite comfortable against anybody now that doesn't mean I want the hardest draw so I think, I think it's looking at expectations versus aspirations so you want to aspire to face the biggest teams and still qualify at the group. The expectation is, if you get a really hard draw, you might need to drop in the Europa League. Mm-hmm. But one thing we need to be cautious about, and its it, I don't necessarily think it's a snobbery, but sometimes we think the biggest names are the most dangerous. When we got Bob I've mentioned Bodo Glenn, when we got them, most people would have like, oh, Jackpot, that's us cruising, we're going to win the Conference League. And we get battered. And better teams in that league went out to much lesser the opponents there were some big names that just didn't perform so just because the club's got a big name it doesn't mean that team that season is as good as somebody else so I saw people talking about oh I hope we get teams like Salzburg or Leipzig and you go right but Real Madrid might have a rotten season next season so it might be the right time to get them so I don't think you can really sort of legislate for having back in the of teams Also in theory, it was the easiest draw. But I would say my challenge would be you don't know what that easiest draw is going to be because you don't know what the state of play is going to be in each team. Um, so the long-winded answer is I don't really care, but I think I would probably like the, the sort of big names just for the glamour ties and, and get the ice back on Celtic. And I genuinely believe we can go toe-to-toe with, with, with anyone. And like, like James said, one of my favourite games for last season was Leverkusen away. And although we get beat, we, were ten, we, were, we I thought we were a better team and we looked great and they played in that environment the way we played. I thought it was inspiring to watch. I really thought it was, it was something that I hadn't seen for so in a long time. Just gone, you know, chest buffed out, playing your football against a really good team in the ground.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Also we lost at the end. Back in you have to question our fitness was at the time. We had fitness issues all over that season. In the last 10 minutes of the season, we all seemed to die and that's when they conceded. So, I don't see that happening next season, so bring it on is what I would say.
5: Now, James, I'm going to have to bring this up as well as bring it on. Um We brought up a clip recently of axom's reaction to Ange getting the job, and this was... I've not got it by the way. I should have had it prepared but I did play it the other week there where you, where you were missing Brian. This actually happened days before Ange Postacoglou was appointed as Celtic manager. Of course he was appointed on the 10th of June and the question was asked, Kevin Graham asked Brian Degden the question around um, aspirations um, of you know, what to expect if you like in the coming season under Ange and Brian gave him an absolute glowing report, says that he's excited, he, th- he thinks this is the way to go, This is, and I remember actually looking back in it a couple of weeks ago thinking, wow, we've been led to believe that Axom were completely uh, dismissive of Ange. It wasn't really the case. You watched that episode back, Brian, and you were absolutely spot on in your assertion that Ange was the man for the job. It um, doesn't happen
0: often, to be fair. doesn't happen often, but we'll
5: you yeah. that one. You might be surprised if you if you troll through some of the archive, by the way. But uh, James, what's your relationship been with Ange uh, upon appointment? The rocky start. When did you get the full buy-in? Of uh, or when did Ange get your full buy-in, rather?
3: I feel like a lot of Celtic fans, most, hadn't heard of Ange before he got the appointment. We just had the devastation and all that getting Eddie Howe, who were all set on for about three months. He was going to be the man. So to be so set on getting him. And then that, that, that not to happen, everybody was a bit disappointed when Anne got the appointment. But you do your reading on the new manager. And you hear it takes a bit of time, maybe a couple of months. But after that sort of rocky period's done, it's a roller coaster ride, and you're going to enjoy it. So I was prepared. To, I knew how big the rebuild was, so I was prepared to give him the time, get his team together. I was said so if as long as we're within ten points of Rangers this season, I will be happy. We exceeded all my expectations. So I was absolutely delighted with it. Everybody was on his back after I think it was the Livingston game. Mm-hmm. I think it was our third defeat in the first six. I was I wasn't one of those I was prepared to give him the time of the day. I was gonna give him till the end of the season, see how we were doing then and he's blown everybody's mind, he Exceeded all expectations and so credit to the manager.
5: It has blown our minds. That's that's for sure. Lanky sixty seven, our thoughts are with you. Hopefully everything works out for you, pal. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Ridiculizer hated everything Adidas has done over the last couple of years for us. Three stripes on the collar, two on the sleeves, silver <coughs> pink, disaster after disaster. The shape around the new badges Howling, Ridiculizer is not convinced about the new jerseys. I'm getting I'm getting some vibes here, Brian. Um and the thing is some people say, ah, you know, it's just the jerseys, as long as it's got the hoops. But you know, I'm one of these aficionados, I guess. I, I go right into the the, the nitty gritty of every jersey that comes out. Um I ask myself, right, what's what's actually influenced this? And um I mean even that pink and silver affair, which I don't think I'm gonna convince you was a nice strip. Uh you know, the heart back to some old green and white jersey that we wore back in the day with the the Covet. But I've learned so much about the football jerseys and I've got to say that um, the dedication of these guys that actually collect them is astonishing. Um, I'm going to also say, James, in my Celtic supporting life, and maybe it's because I got into watching Celtic when names and numbers weren't really a thing on the back, I've only had one name and number on the back of my jersey and it was when I guested at Celtic Park in a charity game um, and my own name was on the back of the jersey and 7-1 uh, was there to pay homage to Neely Malkin. Um Have you got a number and name on the back of that jersey? Yeah,
3: he was an alright player. You can maybe
5: call him... One of the best think, of course. Oh, there you go. I love that number as well. It just it brings back those memories. Um, the season we looked at was the season after Martin O'Neill's first treble winning campaign. Um, and we went to places like Rosenberg and Porto and Juventus. We put a really good account of ourselves um, on the European stage, eventually getting knocked out uh, with nine points, as you were saying before, Brian. We then came up against Valencia. Again, they beat us away. We won it at home. We go out on penalties. It seemed at that point that we were making progress in Europe. And so it was to be proven the next season we get into the UEFA Cup. And yesterday, UEFA Cup final that is, and yesterday I was talking about progression. And I think we're all in agree- agreement, Brian, that, that this season was, uh, Europe was a bridge too far. If we got anything in Europe, we'd have all been chuffed to bits. But I mean, that game against Midtjylland, he was right up against it was Ange. You know, arm tied behind his back. Um, And I think that, you know, if we go in and put a good account of ourselves in this season, we might revisit this next season and say, well, let's start progressing now. I don't think we can be overly critical, even at this stage, even though this is Andy's second uh, season in charge. Um, And at this moment in time, That old argument between Kev Graham and I, are we a Champions League team? Are we a Europa League team? Are we looking this season, Brian, to cement ourselves as a Europa League team? Or do you think we can cement ourselves as a Champions League team and actually look to progress out of that group?
0: So again, aspirations versus expectations, right? So aspirationally, I, I think we should be able to... I don't think there's a huge gap between Europa League and Champions League, you know, other than the very elite. I think that, again, you can get a really bad Europa League draw as well. So, again, it depends on the state of play of the teams, but I, I still think we, we need to aim to be a Champions League club. I think that that's where we should, we should aim to be. Try and get into the last 16, try and get into the last eight. It might seem a million miles away, but we need to aim to get there. If we don't have that aspiration, we're never going to achieve it. I don't think we should ever settle for being just a Europa League team or just a conference team or Europe's just for money, at is the most important thing. I never buy into that. I think we should be aiming as high as we can. Whether that's realistic, we don't know. It remains to be seen. But I, I think it, it, it can be. And I think that everything we seem to have learned about Ange Post he's determined to leave his mark not only on Europe, but he's determined that Celtic leave the mark on Europe again. And I don't think for a second he'll be anything but convinced his team can go as far as the Canada Champions League and challenge Europe's best and that's where he sees it and I'm all in and I think if there's a man who gets there it'll be him we talked James mentioned there about how have took us getting close to their rivals this season and I said the same I, I, I thought that it might be been a bridge too far for us to get to, to win the league I thought just in the scale of the rebuild I just knocked that right out of the water mm. this challenge again in Nate, remember, he's never really had success his first season anywhere. It's always took at least a season and a half or two seasons. And he came to Celtic and went, can you have that this time? I need to improve to make sure we have success instantly. And he'd done it. Against all odds, all sort of predictions, he'd done it. If he's telling us, I want to make my mark in Europe, I believe him. And I firmly believe we'll get there. So again, long answer to a short question, but... I think Champions League club. I think we have to aim to be. I think, Kevin put it excellently. He says we're kind of completed domestic football. We need to try for Europe and domestic football. Take care of itself. And I totally agree.
5: I like the long answers, Brian. That's what this game's all about. Robert Highland reckons at the moment, Europa is our level not yet ready. Um, I'm kind of on the fence here because I, I, nothing would surprise me about Ange. I love this fairy tale element that you know. Jockstein went to watch the 1954 World Cup and the reason he was there was it was a reward for Celtic winning the double the season before. There was three or four players in the Scotland squad including nearly mocking Bobby Collins, Bobby Evans and I think maybe even Willie Fernie was in there. And uh, he was mesmerised by you know, the great Ferenc Puskas, the, the great Hungarian side. Mesmerised, total football, before it arrived in the Netherlands. And, of course, they went right to the final. They go 2 nothing up against West Germany, as it was, and eventually get beat 4-2. But then that magic Puskas dust is sprinkled on Ange. Years later, when they both meet each other in South, South Melbourne... And Ange is the captain, and you, you know that that's filtered in, just as it kind of filtered into the psyche of Jockstein back in the 50s, and he was able to implement it in the 60s. I think it's also there, it's part of Ange's psyche that, you know, this is a man in Puskas that had got to the World Cup final. He was a man who got Panathinaikos to the European Cup final as a manager, unfancied Panathinaikos years later, so... um we love a fairy tale at Celtic. Are we just dreaming at this moment in time, James? Is it going to take another season, do you think, before we find our, our proper level in Europe?
3: I feel like it all depends on who we get in the groups. Uh, I, I think I would want a favourable draw. I want the easy teams. I, I'm not a big fan of the glamour-tied stuff because I know we're going to get battered about the park and everybody will be raging after the group stage is done. I want an easy ride through the group stages, hopefully get to the next round, I think.
2: Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
3: If we get a competitive group, we can give it a proper good go. But, I think third place and a deep run in the Europa League would that, be a realistic expectation this season for Celtic.
5: Well, you know the thing, again, Kevin and I had various ding-dongs about this when we first started the Celtic State of Mind and at that time, 2017, Brendan Rodgers at the helm and you know, I'm thinking we are a Champions League team, we really need to be. I'm, I'm thinking back then what I'm thinking now, we've got an opportunity to do something. And Kev was playing it down, he's saying, you know, at this moment, we're nowhere near that. And he was proven right. I mean, Kev Graham was proven right by saying it. But what annoyed me, right up to, you know, fairly recently, the last AGM, is our club was telling us we're, we're not at that level, Brian. You know, So it was almost like they're managing the expectations. And regardless of who it was, a Scottish club got to a European final this season. So that excuse can no longer be wheeled out whenever Bankier gets uh, you know, a fright at how much investment would be required to make an impact. Um, and I don't think the Celtic fans will let them forget that either. Now, I said earlier on that you two gentlemen uh, weren't able to answer all the questions that we put to the, the team uh, on the 1,000th episode of A Celtic State of Mind. I think we're on episode 1013 now uh, of of the actual broadcast stroke podcast, depending on how you listen or, or view it. Um, and there were quite a few interesting posers thrown out. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys, and I want, the comment the commenters to get involved as well the first question i'm going to start from the back in case we run out of time because i started at the front yesterday i think that's three of them um the first one would be right it's nearly 20 years since Seville, brian degnan i'll come to you first and obviously it's the anniversary of us appointing martin o'neill on that famous day first of june 22 uh, 2000 that was uh james were you born serious yes. question
3: three or four months before I was born wow I'm October that. October 03 <laughs> <laughs> that's
5: tremendous game, you know back, that's, it. that's tremendous it. <laughs> uh, well I'm going to be asking you this question in any case James 20 years since of old Brian, who from Angie's team would get into that civil team
0: so I made a wee list in preparation so just let me get it here um, <clears throat> so we'll stick to the same formation Is the civil team the, the 5 three, two. Like Joe Hart and goals replacing Big uh, big Rab the big man Yiranovic, replacing Agat that might be controversial but big fan Yiranovic maybe mm. Carter Vickers replacing Bobo now I love Bobo and I hope he's not watching in case he gets me but the big man was rash and uh, Carter Vickers does give you that physicality I think uh, Mialbi you Boharan uh, <coughs> Tomo left wing back Keeping in the same. Uh, Lenny Lambert keeping the same. Mm-hmm. I just think in that game, the you know, they two were excellent. I am replacing Petrov with Kalmac, Callum McGregor, which again may be a bit controversial, but I just think that wee bit of extra, you know, drinking it out, driving me the ball, maybe, um, would have been good. And of course you can replace Henrik or um or Chris Sutton up front. And um I was just thinking actually. About Henrik, somebody should write a poetry book about Henrik Larson. I think that'd be a That's good idea. That's
5: an idea. That's a, a great, great idea. Think of, that'd be. Well, on that point, firstly, <laughs> Brian, you have made more changes to that civil team than anybody else who's been asked that question, incidentally. <laughs> um, although I think Alan Morrison almost completely replaced the bench. He kept Jackie and he kept Sean Maloney, but the rest of them he replaced them, which is fine. But in terms of the starting 11, you've made four changes. Which is more than anybody else, but I think you've made good arguments for them. Some people have dropped Neil Lennon for Callum McGregor, which was a, an argument as well. Um, I've never really considered a gap. I think that's quite an interesting change to make because although he had pace to burn, I and mean, we knew that, I think his distribution at times, you know, was questionable. And I think Juranovic uh, is a different beast when it comes to that. Just more
0: and Sutton and Lawson. Yeah, that's what. And if you put Tom on the left and bit in the right, wow, that, that could have been even could more been, special.
5: Could have been awesome. And uh, the other couple of questions i like to ask about that before I move on to James, uh, Brian, is Hartson if it, he would have started, but who would have dropped out? <laughs> or, awesome. would he, or would he have started? I guess is the question. I'm just assuming he would have started.
0: And I, I probably would have had him coming off the bench, if I'm honest. Mm. I, just, I just think, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'd have probably uh, I kept the big man on. Because I think, I think I always think when you guys like that, there's such a different proposition for the, the, the players you're up against. And just him coming on with that robustness and power and drive late in the game, I, I, especially when they were kind of sitting back at the time, I think they'd have been ideal to lump balls into. So I'd have probably left the big man on the bench.
5: I think he's maybe mentioned that himself because of the heat more than anything else, Brian, that he probably wouldn't have made the 90 minutes and obviously extra time as it it became Jungle Line. Reckons McGregor in for for Neil Lennon as well. The other question is, going back to what Lubo was saying a few weeks ago, he would have wanted his swan song to be the UEFA Cup final rather than the season before. Would he have made a difference? Would you have had him on the bench, maybe?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, my half was so special, wasn't he? He was just... He just had that that real magic, and it was sort of he was he was almost predictably unpredictable, you know. And I just think he in, in any team he would add something. So I you can't imagine bringing him on as a sub. Just keeping that wee bit of magic, uh, yeah, that'd be special.
5: Mm. Aaron L's making a few changes as well. A lot of people used to just say or did say a couple of weeks back, "Yep, change a goalie, everybody else stays the same." But you guys are just tinkering with the team now, so that's fine. heart uh, Johanovic, Baldi, Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, Tomo McGregor, Petrov, Lambert, Jota, Larson Sutton. Interesting you've kept Baldi in there because obviously you think of what happened on the night and you might think, drop up him. Um, Valharan of course, was, I thought, a good performer in Europe. He had scored a couple of really important goals the previous campaign. Right, James, who would get into the Seville side from Angie's team? And Seville's
3: obviously... A bit before my time. My time as a Celtic fan sort of really started in the Stratton era. But there's all the sort of younger Celtic fans I've done. You go back and watch the teams that everybody's talked about. So I would have Joe Hart coming in for Rab Douglas. I would maybe have Juranovic in for a gap. Mm. Ccv in for Baldy McGregor, and for Neil Lennon. And what I'm lucky because I've got so many good strikers and the team right now Yeah. we've got Kyogo and Yakimakis but realistically they don't come close to Hartson Sutton and Larson putting them out of that team so I I'd have you. Hart, Carter, Vickers and potentially McGregor in for Len. interestingly
5: interestingly um, the bench was quite weak with players like Fernandez on the bench so I'm pretty sure Kyogo would have made the bench that's for sure but Uh, we're only chewing the fat on that one we know it will never happen I like talking about hybrid teams Um, we're looking at the fact that we are going to be celebrating our 5th anniversary very very soon Axrom that is um, we are having a big launch event for the the wider media company of a state of mind up in Edinburgh, the St James Quarter. It's free. We're going to have um, a full day of entertainment. Going back to what you were saying, Brian, Kevin, Graham might turn up with a few books to sign, um, but we'll, we will announce the full uh, the full bill of events. Uh, over the next couple of weeks. There are some tremendous names on there, in actual fact. But five years, yeah, something to be celebrated. Um, I'm going to be celebrating the five rather than the 70 over the next couple of weeks and months. What do you think should be Celtic's target, Brian, in the next five years? Where should Celtic be in five years' time? So if we go back five years, 2017, we're dominating Scottish football. Brendan Rodgers is the man. And um, we're basically intoxicated by what he's done, the culture that he's implemented at Celtic. But in the back of my mind, as well as dominating Scottish football, I wanted to make inroads into Europe. I've not done that five years on. Where should we? Where should we really be in five years, Brian? What do you reckon?
0: So, it, a slightly, slightly boring answer because um, I want to speak a bit about the sort of back structure of the club, but. Obviously, again, aspirations. You want to be competing at the highest level in Europe and doing it consistently. and Whether we have to qualify, whether we're going to group stages. You want us to be in Champions League year on year. Just that exposure and that experience will serve the club well. So that's where I want us to be in terms of the, on the park, off the park. Hopefully, Andrew will still be there by that time. But irrespective, I want us to have a real pathway for you know youth players to come through. Mm. I want us to have a culture about the club where, regardless of who the coach is, we've got an infrastructure in place. That suits this style of football. So like um Leipzig, Dortmund, Brentford, um Salzburg, or these sort of clubs who have a sort of structure in place behind the scenes where it doesn't almost doesn't matter who the coach is, because you're signing your players at a certain age, you know, with certain ability to fit a certain system, and that Celtic system, and when you either come to play for Celtic or manage Celtic, that's how you play. And then if we have that and we start recruiting for that just now, at, you know, 14, 15 year olds, they should hopefully be making inroads to solid first team players. So, long term sort of academy filtering in, but it has to be that infrastructure at the club. So, it was in 10, 20, 30 years, you know, there's always that identity. This is Celtic, this is how we play, these are the players we sign. And actually, I don't think it's that unrealistic because I spoke before about how the club's very risk averse. And James, you mentioned earlier about project players we sign.
3: Mm.
0: And he's working within that system, but to better effect. So he's if you talk about a project sign you go, right, they're under 23, they 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 come for a less fashionable leap, but they fit the player profile. We've seen players like that a lot, but we've never had the, the system in place or the identity. We've just took he's under 23, we could probably get a sale on value, he's a decent player, but I've never considered whether they fit into a system. Our culture or a team, mm-hmm. whereas I think Ange might still go with that philosophy of these project players or younger players, but they fit his ideals, and that is a really good way of working. So, I actually don't think mass sort of lofty and um, structural ambitions are unrealistic. I think we can still work within that framework of being fairly risk averse, but smart with it you know, don't work hard, work smart. And I think that's what we can do. So, hopefully, in five years competing regular in Champions League there's academy players coming through almost belt style like way back in the day and again that feeds into that romanticism doesn't it of homegrown players but I think we can get there I really do I just think we have to be focused and clear of intention
5: I remember you talking you know in the same vein at the beginning of the season you know Prior to Ange coming in, then when Ange came in, Brian, because you were, you know, there's a lot of talk at that time about directors of football, etc. And you were talking about this structural vision. And I'm just thinking about how that would work, and I think it would be a lot easier. For example, when that time comes, be it a three-year cycle, five-year cycle to replace the gaffer. I mean, you're looking for a very specific coach at that point, a very specific manager at that point. Um, and I, we now know because we've we've heard from Dermot Desmond that uh, every time there's a new manager required, there is a shortlist of five. And you just think to yourself, I bet those five are from one end of the scale to the next in terms of vision, philosophy, style, all this kind of stuff, you know. I, you know. Sometimes it could just be profile because, I mean, we interviewed at one point the man who's on the back of James's jersey, Henrik Larson, for the manager's job. Yeah, an absolute icon, a, an absolute tremendous legendary player of the modern age. Never a manager. Should never be the manager, No, you know, unless he goes away and proves himself as a manager, he can't step into the fold. So I, I prefer that vision that you've got, Brian, and I hope that is what the club's going to do. James, uh, my radical view on it would be: where does he Celtic in five years? I've always said this. I've seen them playing the football elsewhere. I think that in order for us to, you know, actually reach the the kind of goals and the aspirations that we have as a football club, first and foremost. Um, but also as the you know high heed ones will be looking at the brand and the global brand and the reach etc. I think that that's something that we should always aspire to, if possible. Whether or not it happens in my lifetime, I do not know. I thought that the uh, the pandemic might have uh, started the ball rolling on that uh, because I think there's been obviously huge effects throughout European and world football. What is your your view on it, James? In five years' time, where will Celtic be?
3: Well, I'm the same as Brian. I hopefully make some progress in Europe because I've never seen Celtic win a European knockout game in my life I think the last one was Barcelona 4 mm. was that the last one? Yeah So I we'll yep. hope some real strides in Europe um, if we get some beatable teams in the knockout rounds we could get like a real good push for it I think and I think you probably wouldn't like me saying this but I think he'll be gone in the next sort of five years I can see him moving on to the Premier League he's too good a manager um, as far as who would replace him, I hope this would be my dream scenario. It does well at Fleetwood Town and Scott Brown comes back to manage Celtic. Who would want that? If As long as he's fit for the job. I don't want him there just because he used to play for his jobs for friends sort of thing. If, if he could prove himself as a manager, I'd love to see Scott Brown managing Celtic.
5: It's an interesting one. I mean, I, I think I was of an era where whoever the manager was at Celtic, they had played for the club, and that that uh, trend was broken, of course, with Liam Brady coming in. The board were apparently trying to do things differently, Brian. It didn't work out. We know that. Um, I'll be watching Scott Brown's career with interest. I mean, he was highly rated when working with the youth players at Celtic. Um, I think he was touted for a couple of jobs up here. He's he's flown the nest. He's away down south, and I will be looking at that as well. We continually talk about transfers during pre-season. It's one of the hot topics, Brian. Um, and I think what's become clear over the last few weeks is that um, the departures are going to be very important as well, because there's a huge amount of wages tied up in players who are simply not contributing or didn't contribute enough last season. Are they in Angie's plans? Who knows? If one player can be saved, however, from, let's say, uh, Albin Ayeti, uh, Vasilis Barkas, Ismail Asoro, uh, I was going to call him Basil Bollie, no, Bollie, Bowling goalie or Chris Julien, How, who would it be and, and why? I mean, is there a player in there that you think Ange can save as a Celtic player?
0: Uh, I mean, they, probably Julien's the obvious one because he's, you know, still got a bit of credibility. Um, Barkass, old hologram ones, as I call him, he's uh, no chance maybe they could save him. Uh, Rasmus maybe gets better set at in another club but not Celtic. ball and Golly seems to want these bridges. Um obviously behind the scenes there must be issues with him as well because he's not featured you know, pretty much I think featured once on under Ange or twice. Um Ayeti No, again I, I don't see it. Um Sorrow, I don't see it. No, it's, it's gonna to have to be Julian out of them. But then I don't think julian has got a future at Celtic either. Um, which is a shame actually because I I, I think he's he's so dangerous attacking the ball both in his own box and in opposition's box and I think that's something we actually like As good as Starfield and Carter Vickers have been they're not really a goal threat as much um, goal at Ibrox aside obviously so I would like to see more for Julian but I I think his time's probably, probably gone now um, but certainly when been, the rest of them need to go from the
5: I mean, I probably agree with that. And again, what's your thoughts on Mikey Johnson? Slightly different, having come through the, the ranks, uh, every season seems to be make or break for him. I said that last preseason. Where are we with Mikey, Brian?
0: Yeah, I, I, again, I, I don't think he's I think he's a good player, but I don't think he's a Celtic player. I just think his decision making is no sharper off, and at this age, it has to be. He's had enough first team exposure that, and I've not really seen any improvement from him. Like I think the Mikey Johnson we saw this season is as good as the Mikey Johnson we saw when he first debuted. I don't think, and he should be a lot better mm-hmm. I don't think there's been enough improvement um, I've said before I think he's like Gary mckay Stephen. I remember we were Gary Mackay Stephen from Dundee United and he was a kind of flare player and he was tricky and he was exciting and we thought alright but he was so inconsistent decision making was really poor and he's, he never had the, the proper final ball and I think that's the same for Mikey Johnson um, you know he seems like a nice kid I hope he's to have a good career but it's not going to beat Celtic. I, I seem like the, 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 the grumpy one today because I said none of the loan players that are out will feature for Celtic again either. So I think the various keepers, Dohan, um Hazard, mm. I think they'll feature for Celtic again. Uh, Gide, Liam Shaw won't feature again. The boy Robertson won't feature. Um, the various other guys we've got out at lower leagues, I don't see them featuring either. So I think you could be looking at maybe Quite often, about to 13 departures mm-hmm. For the squad, like comfortably. Now, even if you're not getting good money for them, the wages that'll free up should easily fund six better quality players. So, I'm quite comfortable with the outgoings because they would have made a mark if they were going to this stage.
5: That's my view on Mikey, and I've said before, Ryan. I actually do think he's a good footballer, but um, I, I use the example of Lewis Morgan and how his career has gone since he left Celtic. He went to the MLS. He then got another move. He was Miami, into Miami's most valuable player. Then he gets a move and a couple of million quid, highly rated over there. The lifestyle, he's enjoying his football. And I think had he not done that, Lewis Morgan, I think you know there's there's a potential that. He might have gone to a, a fellow uh, Premier League side, Premiership club, and then what happens next if that doesn't work out? And then you see so many players like that bouncing around the Scottish leagues, or the, I say the lower reaches, but you know maybe third, second tier of English football. Um, whereas he's gone over to the MLS, and he's a very valuable player for both teams that he's played for over there, and I think for me, Mikey Johnson could probably do likewise and and make a really good career for himself over there. Uh, James, of the players that have been uh, mentioned there, I tend to agree with Brian. I think, you know, a Yeti will be a good striker for someone, but not Celtic. He's got age on his side, Barkas. For me, Listen, I know he came in with, you know, international pedigree, Champions League experience. The guy is just anonymous. He doesn't have the stature. You look at the pictures of the body-beautiful Joe Hart on the beach. You look at uh, Fraser Foster, the, the man-mountain. Uh, you know, they had presence. And even Craig Gordon, you know, he's, he's quite a lanky kind of guy, quite a slim guy, but he still had presence. I never saw any of that in Barkas. And, and, you know... Yeah, we need to cut our losses there. Sorrell really disappointed in him, I think, for a dozen games under Lenny. Unexpectedly came in, you know. He played well in Europe. He did. He did very well until the food poisoning. Uh, you know, um, meant that he couldn't play in the Scottish Cup final. Ball and golly, time to go. Uh, He's not even training with Celtic. And Julien, probably still question mark for me. Um, could happen. I think there is absolutely no love lost either way for Ange. He's, he's basically viewed the attitude and performance and application of Stephen Welsh and quite rightly thinks he's above him in the, the pecking order. Julian might be saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm one of the big players. I'm a high-profile player. I need football. And he does at 29, so that might be elsewhere as well. Are we losing all of them, do you think? And what's your views on Mikey Johnson as well, James? Um, well,
3: I'll just cover If I was to save one player first, I would save Christopher Julien. I'm I'm actually a big fan of Christopher Drilling. and I think the time off that he's had has made a lot of people forget how good of a player he actually was before the before the injury and before even the COVID season. You've just got to look at Man of the Match away at Lazio, scored the winning goal at home to them, Man of the Match in his first derby at Ibrox, a winning goal in a cup final. A bad player doesn't doesn't get those sort of accolades. Mm-hmm. I think. I think there's still a role he can play in this team. I think I think he's a better player than Stephen Welsh, And you've just got to look at it's not as bad as it was in during the COVID season, but there's still a problem at set pieces for Celtic, I think, in both boxes, offensively and defensively. We're not... Whenever Celtic get a free kick in a dangerous area or a corner, I don't think very many people are starting expecting anything to come of it, really. Because we, we never score for those sort of chances. And then we're not as worried as we were in the COVID season from corners but it's still a bit of a problem that we're conceding we don't concede a lot of goals but a lot of them do come from corners mm. I think Julian's still got a role to play but we just can't offer him the game time to do that and I believe his quality isn't going to accept sitting on the bench as you said Paul so I think for the best of his career move away. he'll probably get a move away but I'd love us to keep him
5: mm. and, and Mikey Johnson
3: um, I think so you hear the groans around Celtic Park whenever his number comes up on the scoreboard? I think that says all oh, about Mikey Johnson at Celtic. It's he had all the potential, but his decision making in the final third, as Brian mentioned, plus the injury record, I think he's just not going to be Celtic. quality I think is he what, two or three years older than Abada as well? And you look at the season Abada's just had. I think there's time. His time's gone. His time's passed at
5: Celtic. It's a shame. And again, uh, this is a wee bit kind of like asking you something that is not possible, but obviously there was a huge amount of players leaving the club um, as Ange was coming in. We got a couple of glimpses of the likes of Edward and Christy under Ange Coglu. I threw, threw it into the mix previously. I've thrown it into the mix rather. that El Yunusi might have thrived under Ange. The Ayer might have thrived under Ange. Any players that departed, Brian, that you think would have been staples of this Ange Postacoglu team? including the lone by the way, like, you know, um, El Yannoussi and Shane Duffy, Lick yeah, John Joe Kenny, I'm going to throw the names at you here. Yeah. Any of them do you think might have thrived under, under Ange?
0: Um, I think the obvious one is Christie because we saw initially, you know, his performances at the start of the season were excellent and then he sort of it was almost Roger raw guess and that sort of went, what did I say? We forgot how good this guy can be so he's the obvious answer but the next like off he's answer, is Laxalt. I thought he would be he would be excellent on the range. Now you saw in flashes with Laxalt what he could do. Have you considered the way Andrexy's fullbacks to operate mm. and what the impact he likes him to have in a game, the like he likes him to come inside and in sort of sort of interchange with the midfielder, the winger, almost in a triangle. I think Laxalt's made for that. He actually started out as a winger, um initially anyway, so he would have been the one that um I, I thought that for a while, actually, kind of midway through the season, I thought, Laxalt would have been brilliant under Ange, he was rotten under Lennon, but I genuinely think he would have, uh, I think he'd have been excellent, really thrived under Ange, he was, he was a clever footballer, he just was the wrong football on the wrong team at the time, um, so so Christie and, and Laxalt for me would have been the, 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 the
5: two. Well, it is interesting. Because when you remember back, James, uh, you know when when Luxalt comes into the side, a wee bit like Sorrow when he came into Neil Lennon's side, you know that that first run of games, that first wave of games, they they looked like really tidy players, and then it all just fell off the edge of a cliff for both of them. Um, we've had uh, Stevie Boy come in and to say Frimpong would have thrived, and Pete McGee reckons Christie and Elia would both have benefited from playing under Ange. I think their work rate, their defensive qualities, would have worked for them. Brian reckons like salt, he's thrown that one into the mix. What's your take, James?
3: Yeah, uh, I know it was six months before and time, but as the commentator said, I didn't quite catch that. Day, Jeremy Frimpong would have been unreal in this system. He was got to, now he's, he's linked to Barcelona now, so that says everything you need to know about Jeremy Frimpong. This system and style is tailor made for Jeremy Frimpong. He would have been so good in this system. But as far as the summer sales, I would I would have to go Ryan Christie. I mean, you saw, they think he had, what was It was like four goals and four assists, something like that, before he left. Was the Deadline Day left? Yeah. It was around that sort of time. But you saw him playing the system, they had man-of-the-match performances against Dundee, St Johnson, the Hammonds at the start of the season. He was a key part of that. I would have loved him to stay on, but his time at Celtic was done. But I would have said Frimpong and Christie would be my two choices.
5: No, very, very interesting conversation indeed Someone was also throwing Bell into the mix, I think Just to ask, you know, what the future holds We had a wee chat there before you came in James, yesterday was uh, his contract uh, completed at Celtic He's now, as far as I know, he's now a free agent So he will be, I'm sure, talking to a host of clubs
3: He might be going to Bournemouth, I think His brother plays for Bournemouth Now he's saying that he wants to play with Karamoko at some point So I don't know if he'd go to Bournemouth If they would take him on, but...
5: It's just an option. It is, and you know, we had a really good discussion, and I'm sure it'll come back up. We might dedicate a show to it uh, at some point during the season, uh, beyond the Axon Bulletin, uh, whereby I was talking Brian about how the change of approach, uh, the fact that there is it a vision which might not have been there and there is a pathway that might not have been there before it might stop the, that that swathe of young talent from leaving and I, met, I named 10 players Dembele was included in that although he was a slightly different case because he had that First team experience over a period of time, making his debut as a 16-year-old. I actually forgot about Conor McBride, who went to Blackburn Rovers. So there's a living on this list of, you know, academy players. As Okaflex, you know, is he an academy player? We brought him into the academy from Arsenal, um, who we lost. And do you think that Ange might be the man that can stop that from happening? Or are we at a stage where either a Liverpool or an Arsenal, West Ham, Leeds United come in? and they dangle that carrot, which is financial, uh, mainly, at uh, a young kid who probably isn't anywhere near Celtic's first team. There is no we can do about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that's always going to be the case. I think even for first-team players, that's going to be the case, right? If Liverpool or Real Madrid come for one of your players, they're probably going to go, right? That's just the reality. Of, unless you're the top of the pile, it's always going to be the case. So I don't think that's limited to just our academy players. I think Ange will be the man to change it, but again, it has to depend on the structure. The players that have been let go, obviously excellent young potential, but do they fit the remit for Ange's style of mm. football and his team? Mm. We don't know. And this is the problem. We're constantly changing the manager and the philosophy. So if you look at guys that Ronnie Dyler might have brought in youth players, that he felt would fit him in a couple of years, then he leaves, Rodgers comes in, he goes right the no my guys, that's the guys. They don't fit either. Then Lenny comes in, then Ange. So you go well. If you keep doing this, they're never going to fit. And If you keep chopping and changing your philosophy, how on earth can these guys that have been signed to play a certain way fit into that? You make it two or three that you know are just good enough that they can fit in any philosophy. But unless you've got a, unless you're recruiting for a system or a style, it's never going to work. We need to. I think Ange has to be at guys. Line guys, 14, 15, 16, that he thinks in a couple of years' time will be fit into his team, yeah. and that's where we progress. Because if we don't have that system in place, it'll always be the same, and there'll be very few players come through. I know that doesn't oh. sound very optimistic, but at saying, that's that's the, the current reality.
5: It makes sense, though. You know, if, if you know, Ocoflex is a great example. Brennan Rogers brings him in, you know, but then he doesn't play. The only reason he ever did play was. After the Dubai, which we're not going to bring up on today's show, come on, it's been a good day, it's been a good day, mainly because we have, welcome back Brian Degnan, long time contributor to our Celtic State of Mind, and we have welcome for the second appearance, I think. James, but the second of many more, let's hope, on a Wednesday of James McKenzie. Welcome to the Axom Cult, as it's often called. Thank you, everybody, for getting involved in the comment section. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like the video. If you're watching on Facebook, share. If you're watching on Twitter retweet, do all that kind of stuff, spread the word and we'll keep growing and giving you free content every single day. All that's left for me to say Brian Degnan and James McKenzie thank you for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind.